Well, can you imagine life without some type of personal computer? I mean, think of it that. I mean, that, that, that includes your smartphone, by the way. Um, you know, it's a far more powerful computer than, than the one I remember my mom purchasing when I was in middle school. I grew up in a small town, and we are pretty sure she, she was the first person in the whole town to have a personal computer at home. And it was that kind of town. You knew if somebody got a computer, you would have known, okay? Um, hers was an IBM. It probably weighed about as much as she does, you know, 100 pounds or so. And, uh, but for all that, for all that bulk, uh, it, it, it had the amazing capacity to, to store 20 megabytes of, of information. Um, now today, my phone has 12,800 times that amount of memory. Well, just over 50 years ago, the chairman of IBM declared that there was a world market for about five computers. <laughs> that actually seemed visionary at the time. But, but even later than that, in 1977, the president of digital equipment claimed there was no reason anyone should want a computer in their home. Have you ever heard of digital equipment? Neither have I. No vision. So, how do we get to this? One person had vision that others didn't have. Really, in terms of putting a personal computer in every home, the idea can be traced to the vision of one Steve Jobs, the founder of Apple Computer. Steve Jobs was just 21 when he and Steve Wozniak basically invented the home computer. Until then, computers were a monstrous mass of vacuum tubes which took up whole rooms, but Jobs and Wozniak managed to take that mass of tubes and incorporate it into a box, small enough to sit on a desk. They offered their invention to Atari, not for big bucks. All they wanted was a salary and the opportunity to continue their work. Atari couldn't see the vision and rejected it. Some of you have never heard of Atari. They offered it to Hewlett-Packard, but they couldn't see it either. It seemed that Steve and Steve could see, the, they're the only ones that could see the possibilities. So Jobs sold his Volkswagen, uh, always a good idea. Wozniak, <laughs> sorry, they're great cars. I'm just a Ford guy, you know that. They're good cars. He sold his Volkswagen, Wozniak sold his calculator, and, and with the $1,300 that gave them, um, they formed Apple Computers. They say the company was named Apple in memory of a happy summer Steve Jobs spent working in an orchard not far from here. The rest is history. By all accounts, Steve Jobs in particular was a great visionary and spurred on by that great vision, he built something great. But Jobs also had Wozniak to help him carry out that vision. And before long, they had a small team uh, which grew until a large number of people found themselves unified around a singular vision. And they were all working toward the accomplishment of that vision together. One of the most important steps along the way came when, when Jobs realized that if his vision was to reach fruition, uh, they needed greater management expertise. A lot of times, you know, the visionary isn't the manager. Um, that's certainly the case with me. Uh, he approached John Scully which rhymes with Tully, but anyway. Hey, John Scully, uh, president of PepsiCo, 
And, you know, I mean, there was absolutely no reason that Scully would come join this, you know, little group of nerds. He was like big high up in, in, in Pepsi. Uh, and so he turned him down at first, but Jobs wouldn't take no for an answer. He kept coming back, casting his vision. And in a last-ditch last effort, he passionately presented his visionary ideas to Scully, closing his case with a question that eventually brought him on board. The question was this, do you want to spend the rest of your life selling sugared water or do you want a chance to change the world? Indeed, Jobs and Scully did change the world. There's no, there's no questioning that. I believe Jesus comes to us with the same question, only on a much deeper level. Jesus is asking, do you want to spend the rest of your life treading water, or do you want a chance to change the world? Most of us spend our lives doing something like selling sugared water, going to work to pay the bills, perhaps finding space for God in our spare time, but Jesus had a vision to change the world in ways that defy comparison. Steve Jobs' vision centered on the personal computer. The vision of Jesus was his church. And his vision of the church is a church that changes the world. If you take no aim, you are not likely to hit the target. This is even more true for a brand new church trying to find its place in the bigger picture. Many new churches don't survive. Why is that? Sometimes it's a lack of vision or a failure to rally the team around that vision. I do believe each church has a specific vision or a specific plan conceived in the heart of God. He has specific ideas and dreams for our church, just like he does for your life. I also believe God reveals his plan for each specific church to a lead pastor. One who's called to be the shepherd or the head overseer of that church. We see this in people like Paul and Silas and Timothy and Titus and others who led specific churches to do specific things at specific places during specific seasons. For every church, someone was the leader of the leaders. And if they were impactful, that someone had vision. As Andy Stanley defines vision, it's a picture of what could be. I feel like I'm cutting in and out. Hey, yeah, 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 yeah. My phone is off, so it's not that, Matt. We've, we're trying. We're troubleshooting this. Maybe it's my watch. Maybe it's some internal implant that I have that I don't even know about that was put there by the government. Um, I don't know. Well, we're just going to have to endure it. Power off. There. Watch is off. I don't want to do that. No, we're going to give it. If it gets that bad, I will. Um... It's a picture, vision is a picture of what could be fueled by the conviction that it should be. And that's exactly what I've been sharing with you in this series. A picture of what could be fueled by my conviction that it should be. Indeed, God has given me a vision, guidance, a picture of where we're headed. This is the path forward for Go Church and hopefully for a family of churches. The Bible clearly states in Acts 20, verse 28. You might want to look that up. Acts 20, verse 28, that the Holy Spirit is the one who puts pastors in place, in place over churches. The Holy Spirit puts pastors in place. That's Acts 20, 28. It's very clear that pastors, also known as elders, are called and appointed by the Spirit. I believe when the Holy Spirit puts pastors in place, it only makes sense that, that He would give them some vision, that He would give them some direction, some guidance. It's important that those who decide to be part of any particular local church come to share that vision if it's to be successful. 
We must have common goals if we're going to win battles and advance the kingdom of God together. The Bible says where there is no vision, the people are unrestrained. That's a very literal translation. You may have heard the old, older version about uh, the, 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 where there's no vision, the people perish, and that's fine. But a more literal translation is actually unrestrained. It, it's a word picture that wouldn't be like dropping a bag of marbles on the hard floor in here and watching it go all over the place. It means people go in all directions, all different directions, every which way. Where there's no vision, the people are unrestrained. How true that is. Conversely, when the vision is clear, we can go somewhere great together. All that to say, yes, we will occasionally go through uh, our vision. Uh, I promise no more than once a year. <laughs> and sometimes probably not every year. But uh, that's what we've been doing. God's vision for Go Church. Let's look back at the vision graphic with me for a minute. And remember where we have come from and where we're going. We began with our why. Right there in the center of the graphic, everything goes back to the reason that we're doing this, and the reason is this, because of love. Because of God's love for people, and the love he gives us for people, and also because of our love for God. This is the t-shirt version of our vision, because of love. If someone asks why you're part of this church, why you spend so much time on church stuff, you could always say, because of love. That's a good reason. And then last week we looked at our mission statement placed within the triangle in the graphic, which doesn't make it some kind of mystical symbol, okay? It's just a triangle. We teach our kids about triangles, right? It's okay. Um, our vision, our mission, I'm sorry, is connecting community with Christ. This is our what, our task, our calling, the what we're here to do, which is to connect community with Christ. Now today we're going to get into our how, which is something I'm calling our discipleship strategy. That is the way we plan to help any individual person, and also our church, move forward in a process of spiritual development. Look at the words in the circles, in the circle, I'm sorry, in the words in the circle with the arrows. Start at the top. These are our how, our process, our strategy, our path forward. Notice also there are three sections to all of this. And you can see those sections in the words outside the circle. Loving God, loving each other, loving everyone. The placement of these words is also by design. Worshiping there at the top corresponds with loving God. Sharing and learning correspond with loving everyone, or loving each other. Sharing together and, and learning together, loving each other. And then blessing and missionarying corresponds most with loving everyone. And so even our discipleship strategy goes back to love. But before I get to the, the nuts and bolts, and this is definitely a nuts and bolts sermon, let me also put our vision into a statement. Some people like pictures, some like words, believe it or not. There are some of us, um, and, and, and paragraphs and sentences. Um, and so this is printed there in your listening guide so you can take it home and memorize it. That's a joke. But here's the big picture in words. In order to become a church known for loving God, loving each other, and loving everyone, we make every effort to empower worship, to provide opportunities for sharing, and to facilitate learning from the Bible so that our people are catalyzed to be a blessing and propelled outward into a life of missioneering with Jesus. We'll call that a vision statement. 
And of course, nobody expects you to remember that, but it's something we can go back to. In terms of memory, I bet many of you could remember our slogan, because of why, I mean because of love, our why, because of love. Many of you could recall our mission statement, connecting community with Christ. Beyond that, surely anyone can remember the big picture of our vision, which is loving God, loving each other, loving everyone. If you've been here for most of the last two years, then you can remember one or two of those, then I'm gonna consider that success. But let's go back to the long version of our vision statement printed there in your listening guide. And the careful listener says, wait a minute, is this a vision statement or didn't you just say something about a discipleship strategy? You know, isn't the title of this message a, a strategy for discipleship? So which is it? If you picked up on that and are concerned about that, um, you and I are going to resonate. Uh, because you think through things with order, like me. But to answer the question, the discipleship strategy is the how part of this vision statement. The discipleship strategy that I want to unpack for you this morning comes after the words, we make every effort. See, there's the vision of who we are to, or want to become, which is kind of uh, the whole thing, summarized by loving God, loving each other, loving everyone. But then there's this strategizing about how we will actually get there, which is in the second half of the statement, the words in the circle. So in order to become this awesome church where people actually love God, each other, and everyone else, we will make every effort to implement this strategy which involves empowering worship, providing opportunities for sharing, facilitating learning, catalyzing our people to be a blessing, and propelling them into a life of missionary with Jesus. But how is this a discipleship strategy? And what is discipleship anyway, right? Okay, discipleship is all about becoming a more devoted, more mature, more transformed, better and better follower of Jesus. That's pretty much what discipleship is. And a discipleship strategy is a plan and a structure to facilitate that kind of growth in real people's lives. Look at the words in the circle portion of our graphic, the words inside the arrows. Notice the way one flows into the next. Here we have a planned process for helping a real person move from point A to point B. And point A is the front door of this church, and point B is actually being seen out, sent out the door on mission with Jesus. So basically, we're looking at five steps in our discipleship strategy, and you'll see them there in the circle. You notice that these five steps are not independent. That's the reason for the arrows. Each step depends on the previous and flows into the next. The idea is that as a church, we need to guide real people around the circle. Picture a little, a little guy, put a little stick figure coming in the front door of our church at the very top of the circle, and he's going to go around the path. It's, it's, a, it's a process. There's a progression to the strategy. That's why both the graphic and the words have movement. It's a roadmap for discipleship. I think all this will become clear as we break it down into steps. But think of it this way. Next Sunday, someone new shows up from the community. And this new person either recognizes a need for salvation or if they're already saved uh, in Christ, they recognize a need to mature, to grow uh, in their walk with him. Or if they're already strong, they recognize that if Go Church is to become home, they need to connect and start helping others grow. In any of those three scenarios, the first step we can provide in a plan to move such a person forward is this, to empower worship. This is generally the front door of our church and the first thing most people experience. But what is worship? After years of reading, studying, thinking about, and leading worship, I came up with a definition that I think is biblical and it works well. Worship is to express and experience the worthiness of God. To express and experience the worthiness 
of God. I won't take time today to make the case for how biblical that is, but I'll tell you that the word worship means to ascribe worth. It was originally two words, worth-ship. To ascribe worth. In reference to God, to worship Him is to express and experience His worthiness, His worth. That's a minimalistic version of what we're here to do today. But where do I get the biblical basis for starting with worship in a discipleship strategy? One example is Matthew 22, 37 through 38, the greatest commandment. I've referenced this several times already in this series. Jesus told us the first and foremost thing is to love the Lord, with, the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, and strength. We could also look at John chapter 4, where Jesus told us that the Father actually seeks after those who will worship him in spirit and truth. That God is actually looking for true worshipers. And how did the first church begin? Where did it all start? And it started with what amounted to a worship service on the day of Pentecost. That was the beginning. We all need to realize there are things that happen when the church assembles for worship that don't happen anywhere else. This is essential for kicking off any spiritual growth strategy, whether in the lives of individuals or the church as a whole. Now, each step in our discipleship strategy needs a tool for implementation. These are not just concepts, but methods. And so we need a way to actually do this stuff. And the primary tool for empowering worship is the worship service. This one's pretty obvious. It's one thing to say empowering worship is the first step of the how. But another question we must ask is how do we empower worship? Well, for starters, we put a considerable amount of time and energy and resources into providing an opportunity for meaningful worship every Sunday, right? These sermons don't write themselves. You know, the band doesn't just come get up there and just do songs. All the children's ministry that happens doesn't just, just happen. We put a lot into it. And we can't take this for granted. If we don't have an authentic worship service... This whole thing doesn't even get started. Understand also that to some degree, the quality level of subsequent steps in the strategy depends on how well we did with the steps before. There's a cumulative effect to this strategy, this process. By the time we get around to missionarying, there's a lot of ways we could have messed this up. But it all starts with worshiping because that is the point at which we connect with God, and He's the source. So that's why we put so much time and energy into this thing we do every Sunday. But now let's look at step two. Step two, to provide opportunities for sharing. The biblical basis for this is also abundant. Hebrews 10, 24 through 25 tells us we're not to forsake the assembly of believers, but to gather consistently. And Ephesians 4, 11 through 13 tells us that we're supposed to build each other up in the Lord and help each other on the journey to become like Jesus. If you read about the early church in the first few chapters of Acts, you'll see that a big part of what defined them was that they shared with each other in amazing ways. They shared. They shared several things, especially time, lots of it, but also resources and even emotions. They shared time, resources, and emotions. They became close relationally. They helped each other out with life. They shared with each other. They were there for each other. They prayed for each other. They cared for each other. They were devoted to each other. This is called koinonia in Greek. That is biblical fellowship. And I like the word sharing because sharing is the only way this happens. If people don't share of their time, their resources, and their emotions, there is no fellowship. Notice that our strategy here is basically to provide opportunities. We can't make people connect, but we can provide opportunities. Some churches maybe just throw up their hands and say, well, I hope this happens, but that's not a strategy. We want to be intentional to provide opportunities for sharing. 
For starters, we must understand that a modern-day worship service is not really any opportunity for sharing, is it? Nope, it isn't. It's just not. It's just not what we're doing, really. So what is our primary tool to provide those opportunities? We're calling this tool Go Groups. And if he's here, he may have gotten called back. Here he comes. Come on up, Tully. Tully's going to put some life into this sermon. Come up here and enthusiastically tell you what's going on with Go Groups. Think so? One, check, one, check. One, two, one, two. This is like the commercial break of the sermon. Yes. Go Groups! What's up? All right. So, Go Groups. What in the world does Go Groups look Remember that awesome vision graphic that was up there that you've been seeing for the past few weeks? Go Groups Falls. Right there, like Mark said, in the sharing section of that. So, what in the world does that mean? How are we going to do that? Go Groups are focused primarily not on Bible study, even though that's a great thing, and we need to have that. Go groups are focused primarily on fellowship. We were just here on Sunday morning in a school building. Sometimes it is really, really hard to get to know people. Right? If you show up too early, we're going to push you to work. If you stay too late, well, we're going to push you to work. Right? So you've got to get in here just the right time and leave at just the right time right? if you don't want to be put to work. So how are you going to build those relationships? Go groups. Right now we have five go groups divided up with between 65 and 70 people, counting kids, signed up to be a part of a go group. That's a large percentage of people that are involved in Go Church. A lot of people are ready to build relationships. So when is that going to start? Well, if you haven't been contacted yet, if you've already signed up, your go group leader is going to get in touch with you sometime before this week is over to set up a time for you guys to meet together through Zoom first, just one time, and then on October 25th, hopefully, fingers crossed, we're going to kick these off in homes. Your go group leader will let you know exactly where you're going to be, exactly what time and what you're going to do. Might be eating a meal together doing a grill out together, just sitting down and talking about life together, building those relationships. And kids are welcome, parents. Don't be worried. I got kids. I don't know what to do. I can't see the babysitter. Kids are more than welcome. We're going to have a great time, right? So if you haven't signed up yet, catch me. Send me an email. It's in the bulletin there. Sign up. We'll get you in the list, and we'll get you in a go group. Sound good? Any questions? We can raise any questions. All right. Well, now back to our regularly scheduled Okay, good, good deal. All right, so that covers how we'll provide opportunities for sharing. So let's move on to step three, to facilitate learning from the Bible. By the way, what is a disciple? A disciple is a learner. The original word in the Bible that we translate as disciple simply means learner. That's literally what it means. Discipleship is learning. One of the most important things that should happen in your life through your church is learning from the Bible. Now, obviously, people can learn from the Bible in multiple ways, like from sermons, my normal sermons, my typical sermons, not this area as much, a little bit. Uh, but also from, um, you know, from, from your own study, from reading your own Bible uh, daily, uh, from reading books, and, and in many other ways. 
But if you've never been discipled, though, you know, it's like this should be common vernacular. I remember when I was discipled, or I'm discipling somebody right now. This is like foreign words to the church today, and it's a big, big problem. And I think it's where we're falling down in many ways as churches. If you've never been discipled, and even more importantly, if you've never discipled someone else, you're missing out on perhaps the most effective way you can learn and apply the most important truths of Scripture. Jesus' model was to choose 12, and then to take three of those and really pour into them. Have you ever been part of someone's 12? Or someone's three? Or even better, have you ever tried to disciple someone else? By the way, if you have kids, that's the most obvious place to start. So where do you find yourself? Are you ready to disciple someone, or do you still need to be discipled? Or maybe it's a little bit of both. Good news, we have a plan here at Go Church. We have a tool for facilitating learning, and we call it discipleship groups. Let me say that by learning in the graphic, what I really mean is discipling. I didn't use the discipling word in the graphic because the meaning is not easily grasped by most people. But I'm telling you now that the kind of learning we're going to be doing is the kind where uh, disciples of Jesus are being discipled by more mature disciples of Jesus. This is the kind of learning that means spiritual growth is happening and people are becoming more like Christ. Now, we already talked about go groups and why, how they function on sh- mostly with sharing and fellowship. So w- there'll be a little bit of Bible study with that, but mostly sharing and fellowship. So what do I mean by discipleship groups? By this, I mean things like go men, go women, go next, go kids, and we go. When it comes to adults, we will do most of our learning through men's and women's ministries. We will isolate the men from the women for this type of learning for two reasons. I just like saying it that way. We're going to isolate the men from the women. We're going to do this for two reasons. First, because it generally works better. And second, because it's 100% biblical. The New Testament absolutely has men teaching men and women teaching women. I'm fully aware that this is not even close to politically correct. I don't want to shock anyone, but here at Go Church, we are more interested in being biblically correct than we are interested in the approval of our culture. For accountability and getting real, going deep, you just really got to get the boys away from the girls. People in youth ministry know about this. Guess what? Adults are just big kids. It's a fact. I know from experience. Remember, I'm talking about the kind of learning that means you're being discipled, which is pretty hands-on stuff. In biblical times, the best disciples were said to be covered in the dust of their rabbi. That that, that means you stay close. You probably spend some time alone. Can you start to see why gender can matter? You know, I don't do personal one-on-one discipleship with females. My wife does. Oh, she's over here. My daughter looks like my wife oftentimes, and it's like they're both beautiful, so... This type of learning that is being discipled simply works better with men, uh, when men are learning from men and women are learning from women. God made us to learn differently, and we generally need to learn different things. Again, I know that what I'm saying right now is utterly countercultural. Um, but rest assured, it's not the only thing our culture has gotten wrong. Paul told Timothy <laughs> to teach faithful men who would be able to teach other men to be faithful. He also told older women to be teaching younger women. To be honest, the lack of this is one of the reasons things are falling apart in our world. 
We sort of skipped a generation somewhere. Men didn't teach boys and women didn't teach girls and we've lost a lot. We have a lot of problems because of it. I realize that this will probably be one of those days when someone won't come back to our church because of the sermon. Happens all the time. I can't help it. I teach a biblical worldview, not a popular one. So for right now, let me just be clear. If you want to grow and go deeper, you need more than just church. You need more than a go group, which remember is more about fellowship. If you're wanting a place where you can grow deeper in the word and help others grow, you will need to be involved in men's and women's ministry. Or if you're a student, go next. And younger kids, to be honest, are the responsibility of their parents. Though we will do what we can to disciple them through Go Kids and We Go, which is sort of like what we called Sunday school back in the day. Beyond all this, we want to work toward the point where we have even smaller groups within these ministries where one man is discipling one or two men and the same with the women and on down the line. We know that not everyone's going to have time for this, not everyone's going to do this, but it's our goal and we want to provide the opportunity. We need disciples making disciples who are making disciples. By the way, you'll never really go deep until you teach someone else. You'll never learn or be discipled completely until you make the effort to disciple someone else. It's when you try to teach someone that you really grow. This is exactly how it worked in the New Testament. Jesus' disciples learned to teach and later they taught to learn. They got three years with Jesus and then it, they had to go and teach others. This is a big deal. Some people won't be willing to do it. Sadly, our church, like every other church, will continue to have large numbers of immature believers who never experienced the joy of growing to maturity in Christ. Some just won't submit to the process of being discipled or take on the responsibility to disciple someone else. But make no mistake, Jesus called us to make disciples who make disciples, and that is exactly what this church is setting out to do. Now, let's go on to step four. I've got to move fast today. Step four in our discipleship strategy to catalyze our, our people to be a blessing to others. Up to this point, we've mostly been talking about internal affairs. Worshiping, sharing, and learning are all mostly things that happen inside the church walls, so to speak. But at the point of blessing, we're starting to think about what we do out in the world. Let's look at all the way back to what amounts to the beginning point of our system of faith from Genesis 12. Genesis 12, verse 1. Now the Lord said to Abram, Go forth from your country and from your relatives and from your father's house to the land which I will show you, and I will make you a great nation, and I will bless you. And make your name great. And so you shall be a blessing. And I will bless those who bless you. And the one who curses you I will curse. And then all and you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. So Abram went forth as the Lord had spoken to him. And Lot went with him. Notice the word go. In this initial call which is passed down from Abraham through the generations of God's people. Believe it or not, this is the place from which we first thought of go church. It was Christie's idea actually. Uh, and when she said it, I jumped. We were reading in Genesis 12, the passage I just read, and Christy said, what about Go Church for the name? Immediately I thought about how it applies not only to the call of Abraham, but obviously to the Great Commission, where Jesus said, go and make disciples. And I was like, that's it. We didn't look back. So the moment of inception actually came from this passage in Genesis 12. And what does God say to Abraham and vicariously to us? He says, go, and when you do, I will bless you. But then he explains the reason for the blessing, which is so that we can be a blessing to whom? To all the families of the earth. Wait, does that include bad people? Yes. All means all. 
We don't need to try to figure out who is good and bad. In fact, if we stopped doing that, we'd be a lot better off overall. We just need to go and be a blessing. Listen, the church today needs to go and be a blessing in the world. Even though the world is sick with sin. We need to go into our community, into harder places outside our community. And we need to take the blessing of God to the people. Which people? All people. Let me make clear that this call of God is clearly ongoing. The New Testament says the followers of Jesus are the spiritual children of Abraham, the family of God. As such, this completely applies to us. We're called to go and be a blessing to all the families of the earth. This was the beginning point of the mission of God, the missio dei, as it's been called. And as such, it absolutely still applies. But how does this fit into our thinking in terms of a discipleship strategy or a way for people in our church to grow stronger in Christ? Well, let's pause for a moment and just think of that individual person who has come along, has begun to plug into our church, they're kind of coming around the circle, they've begun to share, they're in the go group, they, maybe they come to some men's ministry stuff and they're growing and they're moving along. But what if he or she stops with learning? What happens if this person never does anything outside of the church assembly? Is he or she following Jesus at that point? Can one really be considered a disciple of Jesus and not be doing something good in the world? I don't think so. That's why this is important. Notice I use the word catalyze for this one. Do you remember that, that term from chemistry class? Anybody? Did, remember chemistry class? Remember high school? Do you remember anything? Um, catalyze. I mean, I'm getting there. To catalyze it. You know, it means that um, we want to amplify your flame. You cracked me up right then, Dan. That just cracked me up. That's funny. Ducking under the camera. That was good. He's very athletic, Dan is. We want to fan your flame, okay? Catalyze you to be a blessing. Um, as your pastor and as a church, we want to catalyze your ability to be a blessing to all the families of the earth. Now, why is, or what is the tool uh, to accomplish this from a corporate standpoint? It's really simple. The tool on this one is this, community service projects. We talked about this last week. We want to put, we want to be out there doing good in the name of Jesus. We want to be a blessing. We want people to notice us. And frankly, we want them to be very, very sad if for some reason our church ceases to exist. If a church ceases to exist and it doesn't cost the community greatly, that church was not the blessing it should have been. By the way, this will mean going the extra 10 miles. We will do things and spend money on things and give money to things and serve things that other churches don't consider their responsibility. Remember that, please. We could also talk about how you live your life as an individual person at work, at school, but right now we're discussing this in light of what we do together as a church. And yes, in the name of the church, like with T-shirts on, we want to be a blessing. Wouldn't it be great if the community could think well of our church? Oh, I don't know if we should really make any efforts in that direction. I mean, let's just be like Brigadoon Church. Just fade into the mist after Sunday morning every week. Some of you get that, if you like musicals. We should be so blessing the community so much that they, they would be sad if we stopped. 
So we're going to take on projects in our community. We're going to help and partner with other organizations that already exist. We are going to shine our light. We're going to bring salt to wounds and flavor to tastelessness. Through community service, we will get busy and be a blessing outside our walls. I mentioned some of the ways that we've done that already last week. Went through kind of a list of things. I thought of several more afterwards that I didn't mention. But again, we're just getting started. Spend a lot more time here. We've got to move on. Most important thing. Most important thing. Step five, to propel our people toward missioneering with Jesus. I do realize missioneering is a made-up word, but there's a reason for it. We don't need to spend most of our energy waving the banner of, that says we have a mission. Um, instead, we need to be doing the mission. We need to be missioneering. We need a verb here with Jesus. To me, this word suggests creativity and adventure while actually going somewhere. You might think of words like engineering, thinking, how can we do this better? Uh, orienteering, if you will. Uh, volunteering. If you mix all that up with the word mission, you get the idea. We're going to find the best ways to be on mission for Jesus in this world. Now, did you hear me say a moment ago that this is the most important thing? I do believe that. Why? Because this is the very thing we've been left here on earth to do. I mean, we will worship and share better in heaven. Far better. You know, if God took us home right now, nothing would be lost on, on no longer. We need to learn anymore, and, and nothing would be lost on, on, on blessing. But if there's one reason God has left us here on earth, it's for the mission. What is the mission? Connecting. Connecting community with Christ. This one is so important. It has its own catchphrase. It's got its own sermon last week. In many ways, the mission is the beginning and the end. We must take the gospel of Christ to our community, to our region, and the nations if we do nothing else. The mission is sharing the message of salvation of Christ with, with Christ with the world. The mission is helping people who are not already disciples of Jesus become disciples of Jesus. Missionaring is the end of our discipleship strategy because being on mission is the ultimate end of discipleship. Following Jesus ultimately means going with him. Remember, he is out looking for the lost one, not sitting back in the pasture with the 99. Why is he out there? Why is he out there looking for the lost one? Why is he on mission? Why does he want us to be on mission? Why is he searching? Because of love. We come for full circle. But I do have just a little bit more to share. Because on top of the mission being at the end of our discipleship strategy, missioneering itself actually has its own strategy. Our strategy for missioneering is based on Acts 1-8, where Jesus said, You will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem. Did I just say ye? I just had an old King James moment, which I grew up with. Uh, shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest parts of the earth. That sounds like a plan. So the tools here are oriented to geographical location. We need different tools for what we can do here in Greater Ridgefield than we need for what we can do farther away. So first, going to be very brief, our local tools, local tools, personal outreach and outreach events. By the way, when I get ready to start making a case for why we need to build a building, which will happen, this outreach events is one of the big cases because when you have a building, you can do so much. Uh, it's so much easier because you've got a place. All right, side note. We're going to encourage and train people to both share their faith personally and then we're also going to plan and promote special events as a church that help um, people experience the gospel with us. Points back to the missional versus attractional discussion from last week. We'll do both again. 
Now, moving quickly, what, are, what about our, that was our, that was our local, that's our, our, our Jerusalem. Uh, we're going to do personal outreach and outreach events, but what about our regional, you know, like our Judea and Samaria? Uh, that would be church planting. You met our church planter for Go Church PDX last week. His name is Dustin Payne. My, uh, his wife's name is Dawn. They are moving here in 11 months. Go Church PDX is going to happen. I'm very excited about it. They're raising funds. They're, they've got partners. They're, everything, they're doing everything they ought to be doing. We were, he was walking the streets of Portland last week in the area where he feels led. Um, Go Church PDX going to happen. Go Church Woodland is on hold, but it's going to happen in time as well. The planters there are Brian and Carol Allen. Pray for them as well. There are several other potential plants in the early stages. Remember, we sent out Chris and Lauren Paolini uh, to do a house church in Kelso. Be a little bit not so much connected to us. It's their own thing, but still, they're going out from us. We sent them out. Pray for them as well. Chris and Lauren. I have a goal, and I think a vision from God to plant 50 churches by 2050. Uh, I'll be 80 years old at the time, um, so uh, I figure, uh, figure maybe at that point I'll be able to take a break. <laughs> Each church we plant will be autonomous and have their own pastor, so it's not all going to be dependent upon me. Some of these churches are going to plant churches. Hopefully all of these churches are going to plant churches until there's 50. Um, exponential. Um, true multiplication. So that's how we're going to go to our Judea and Samaria, our region. Lastly, what about the ends of the earth? What are our global tools for mission accomplishment? There are three missionary support, missionary trips, or mission trips, and international church planting. Those are your blanks there. Missionary support, mission trips, and international church planting. We have a vision to make a global impact, just as Jesus said we should. Missionary support, being brief, means we support people like Tori, who's one of our missionaries. Remember when we prayed over her and sent her out? And she's been there for like a year and a half. She's back right now because of COVID, but she'll be leaving again a month or two. Go back to Oaxaca, Mexico. And we support many missionaries, about 4,000 missionaries through the same organization by which we support Tori called the International Mission Board. And we're able to do this because we're part of something called the Northwest Baptist Convention, which allows a lot of pooling of resources, and so we have missionaries. Uh, that's missionary support. We're going to support them in prayer, support them in finances. The second tool we use for global missionarying is mission trips. And this is where you really get hands-on. And there is nothing more powerful than mission trips. It is the most impactful thing that I've experienced. It's like discipleship on steroids. Okay? What happens in a week or two in your life. And not only that, but what we're able to do to help other people can be very, very powerful. So mission trips are going to happen. We were going to go to Nicaragua this year for obvious reasons. It didn't work out. But... Those times are coming. I've been on mission trips all over the place, more than I can just about count. Um, so mission trips. The third tool is international church planting. It applies in the most obvious way that we're going to hopefully try over time to be able to plant churches in other countries. But beyond that, uh, other countries are here. Did you know that? They came. Um, and I believe this is part of God's design. And so we could plant um, ethnic churches and reach the whole world that way. All right? So we have a Go Iglesia that we hope is going to happen. I've got a potential planter as soon as he's ready. Um, he's finishing up another church plant, probably be in Woodland. He lives in La Center. Uh, so I've done Hispanic church plants before. I, I know Chinese people. I know all kinds of people. And we're going to be hopefully doing ethnic church plants to reach to the ends of the earth. All right, as I wrap up, I know there's been a lot to take in, a lot of information today. Um, it's not my favorite kind of sermon to preach. But it's necessary because I want you on board. 
not just scratching your head and taking note of what the church is doing. You are the church. This is about what we are going to do together. We're a team with a plan. But if the team doesn't have some idea what the plan is, it isn't worth very much. That's why I've taken these three Sundays to go over it. All right, if you missed one and you want to know, they're all on face, face, what is it, Facebook? I'm off Facebook now. I'm on Instagram now. Instagram is nicer, at least so far. I've decided to be nicer on Instagram. I just post pictures of things like grits. That was my post this morning. I had grits this morning. It was delicious. Butter and sugar, a little bit of cream. Wonderful. So Instagram is about grits. Facebook is about politics. I'm off of Facebook. Um, anyway, so, uh, hey, I got an idea. How about if we become a church together? Want to? Are we in? Because we, we got a vision and all that, so we might as well, you know. That'd be great. Let's get on, on the plan and, and do this, these things together. I, I believe God's his, the, his history, and him, to him it's like history. Uh, his, his plan for us, his, his future for us is amazing. It's going to be wonderful. Thanks for listening to Go Church's weekly sermon podcast. If you enjoyed the sermon, be sure to rate and review us. If you want to learn more about the ministry of Go Church or catch up on previous sermons, check out our website, www.gochurchpnw.com. You can also connect with Go Church on Facebook and Instagram.